Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the Tough Questions seminar stream. What we're doing each morning in this seminar stream is we're looking at some of the best objections to faith. When you say to your mate, I'm a Christian, they might say at some point, well, okay, if God's good, why does God allow suffering? So we're looking at questions like that, but we're also aware that some of these issues are issues for us. Maybe you're here and you're wondering if there is a good God, why would God allow suffering? So we're looking at that question today. Uh, Tomorrow we have Andrew Wilson. Uh, It says in the handbook it will be Steve Wilson, but tomorrow it's Andrew Wilson speaking on a number of subjects with a panel of guests, questions around the subject of sex on Friday, I will be talking about the whole subject of atheism when your friend says, yeah, well, I'm an atheist. What does that mean? What is atheism? What can we say about it? And then on, on Saturday, Will van der Hart will be here from Holy Trinity Brompton in London, and he'll be talking about issues all to do with the very topical subjects of mental health. So just to give you an idea of the format of the seminar, especially if you weren't here yesterday, our speaker will speak for around 40, 45 minutes, so about quarter past 12 we will come to a halt and we'll invite questions. There are actually two microphones. There's one here where I'm pointing and there's another one over here and we're going to invite you uh, to come and queue up at those microphones and ask a question. And then after about 15 minutes, we actually need to finish quite promptly at 12.30. That'll be your cue to leave if you'd like to leave at 12.30. But if you've got more questions or you didn't get your question answered, then our speaker will come down. He'll come and stand over there and you can chat uh, with them, interact and ask any more questions that you have. But it might be that you'd like to receive prayer, particularly given the subject matter today, hey? In which case, we're actually going to have some ministry team folks, some people who've come here to pray for you. (laughs) That's why they're here. So they'll be in a little huddle around here with the red, the blue, the green caps on. They'll be standing over there. And you can come forward and you can receive prayer if you'd like to. Okay, it just remains for me as the seminar host to introduce our speaker for this morning, who's a good friend of mine, Steve Wilson from the King's Arms in Bedford. I'm going to ask you to give him a big cheer in a minute. Let me just tell you something about Steve. Um, As well as being a good mate of mine, uh, I want to encourage you that Steve comes from a church who've actually gone out of their way to connect with people in their town in Bedford who don't know Jesus and who have experienced suffering. This is a church that really has put into practice some of the stuff we're talking about, reaching out to disadvantaged people, people who have actually experienced suffering, talking to them about a God who can allow suffering and how that God can still be good even given what you've gone through in life. So Steve is not only a great speaker and a great bloke, but he really has been putting into practice what we're talking about today. So would you put your hands together and give a big New Day welcome to Steve Wilson. Thank you, thank you. It is a uh, massive pleasure to be here, really grateful for the opportunity and uh, really glad to be with you this morning. So listen, I recognize that some of you may not know me, you might not recognize me, and so listen, by way of brief introduction, I am an evangelist, okay, which does not mean that I wear a uh, white suit or shout at people on the street, but it does mean I get excited about talking to people about Jesus and seeing lives transformed. Anyone else loves talking about people to people about Jesus? I was like, five of you, that's not good enough. We'll work hard on that as we go through the session, all right? I'm also an elder in a church in Bedford, beautiful town. But an elder does not mean that I'm an old guy, okay? just means that I'm a leader in the local church, and I'm really passionate about uh, the church that we're part of. But more important than those two things, I'm also a dad, 
I've got three little children. There's a picture of, us, of them kind of uh, coming up, I believe, on the screen. I promise we don't dress up as pirates every single week. But we've got three kids. James is the eldest. Um, he's uh, six years of age. He's got bright red hair, so we call him Flame Boy. We've got a little girl called Lexi. She's beautiful and sweet. And uh, she sometimes comes up to my face and she kind of strokes the side of my face. And she says, Daddy, you're the most wonderful person, which I'm super proud of. Um, and then we've got a little boy, our youngest. His name's Ollie. And he's two. And uh, I love being a dad. I'm super passionate about those kids. But, you know, more importantly than, uh, than being a dad to those three is I'm also a husband to my amazing wife, Philippa. We've been married around about 11 years. And she's fantastic. She's kind of looking out for the kids today to release me to come and be here. But more importantly than any of those things, I'm also a son of God, okay? And uh, listen, in that security and that delight with which I kind of come to you today to take on one of the rather complicated subjects that Christianity has to offer. And we are going to talk about the subject of suffering. In essence, try and look at the question, how does a loving God, how could a loving God allow so much suffering? Now let me uh, begin with a true story, okay? True story about a guy called Tom. Now, Tom grew up, like many of you guys, in a Christian family. And uh, his dad was actually an elder in a church. And on the, on the outside, everything looked like he was a passionate, going-for-it Christian. Okay? And so he was baptized. And uh, he, from the outside was doing all the right things. He would pray and people would say how wonderful his prayer life was. And he would go out on the streets and he would talk to people about Jesus. And he even went on Christian camps like you guys are this week. He led worship with a guitar. But the problem was that not everything in Tom's world was as it seemed on the outside. You see, actually, he was treated pretty badly, particularly by his mother, and so you see, his mum wouldn't let him go to cinemas and wouldn't let him go to theatre, wouldn't let him go out in the evenings. He was forced to listen to the Bible being read out and memorised. And very sadly, if he didn't know things and didn't get answers right or didn't know certain scriptures, there were times when he was put under the stairs. There were times that he was even beaten because of the fact that he didn't know the things that they wanted to ask him about, or particularly she wanted to ask him about. Now as he grew up, his dad became ill. His dad, who was this elder in a church, got stomach cancer. And Tom prayed, he prayed that, that God would take away that stomach cancer. But it wasn't a prayer that was answered. And his dad died, and it was at that point when Tom dramatically fell away from his faith. Now this guy Tom now writes a blog and the blog is called The Myth of God. And if you were to look at any of his kind of social media channels, what you would find is that Tom consistently writes about his disdain for Christianity, his hatred of religion. He writes about how all Christians are crazy. How is it possible that there is a, a God in the midst of a world that has so much suffering that even he's experienced he would say that Christians are fools and that prayer does not work. Now this, uh, this story is quite important to me because this guy Tom is my father. He's my dad. Now I, outside of the first 
six or seven years of my life. Didn't grow up in the church. I was in my mid-twenties, many years after all this had happened, when I gave my life to Christ. And so one of the people that I love the most in the whole world, one of the people that I respect, and I would be desperate to come to know Jesus, actually is so far away from him. And so I've been thinking, all right, how do I go about loving him? How do I go about trying to reconcile, put these two things together that he would know that there really is a God of love. And that even in the midst of such questions, even in the midst of someone like him who has experienced such physical, such emotional, such psychological abuse at the hands of other people, even Christians, how would you go about responding to someone like that? And it's hard. This topic that we're talking about is a complicated one. It's not straightforward. But I honestly believe that God's going to help us this morning. And I believe that he's actually going to minister to some people's hearts. And so I've had uh, some friends and I have just been praying for you guys. I'm praying that not just would we be able to learn stuff up here, but that actually that God would touch people's hearts in such a way that a breakthrough would come. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to share various stories throughout this next 40 minutes or so. And there'll be some of you in here who can immediately relate to the sort of suffering that I'm talking about. And at that point, I want you to clock it and think, you know what? Today, I want to find breakthrough. And today, I want to receive prayer. And today, I want to know God even in the midst of the suffering that I've been going through. Now, if that is you, then just as Adrian said, we're going to have some time at half past 12 when we're going to gather down here either side to be able to take the opportunity of praying for you. Listen, just very specifically for a moment. I felt like God told me to start with that story because there are people in this room who right now feel a disconnection with your father and that actually that relationship is both the cause and the source of a great deal of suffering and emotional pain for you. If that is you, I want to pray for you today. One of my friends felt like God said there was someone here who was struggling with the sudden death of a parent and would say they're feeling in a depressed state and they're finding it really hard to connect with God. If that's you, at the end of this session, we want to pray for you. And I also felt like there was someone who was caring for a family member. We believe that they even have that family member maybe has a disability and actually you're at least in part responsible for their care and their support. And because of that, you're struggling with the realities of life and you're feeling ignored and you're feeling lonely. Now there'll be people right now who immediately feel that tap to know, actually, yes, I know that's me. Please, if that's you, do feel free to come and let us pray for you at the end of this session, okay? Because this is a painful subject, and it's an, a subject actually which is going to affect all of us in one way, shape, or form. Even if you just kind of jump on your phone right now and look at Sky News, you're going to see thing after thing after thing, report after report, which is going to scream at you and say, not everything is right with the world right now. There is brokenness, there is war, there are tensions, there is pain. It takes only a few minutes of looking at a TV screen, whether it's starving children or whether it's the stark realities of communities that have been shattered. Maybe you've heard about another celebrity that's committed suicide. But the reality is that for many of us, we'll realize that pain isn't just out there somewhere, and it's not just on a news channel, but actually we are personally 
experiencing discomfort and difficulty and pain in our own lives. There's personal tragedies and there's, there's friends that we've got who are struggling with depression or physical illness or, or bullying. Suffering affects all of us. And if, if you uh, haven't yet experienced suffering, honestly, it's just a case of you living long enough. Every single one of us at some point in our lives will experience suffering. And you see, today what we can't do is just think of some kind of logical, theoretical answer. Because actually this is a very emotive and very personal problem as well. Maybe you would be like my father now, as a complete atheist. Or certainly you will know people who would call themselves complete atheists. He would resonate with someone called Richard Dawkins who said that life is ultimately meaningless. Good and evil, they don't really exist. Instead, we are just matter in motion. Suffering is no more than natural selection or survival of the fittest. But those of us who are Christians, who believe the God of the Bible, we've got to do something with this subject. Maybe we're in the midst of suffering even right now. How can God allow it to happen? And I need to be honest with you up front in that I'm not going to take you to one particular Bible verse and you're going to punch the air and think, that's it. That's what I've been waiting for. There's going to be no big right hook moment because it's a complicated issue. But what we are going to be able to do, or certainly I hope we're going to do, is we're going to start to look at some puzzle pieces. We're going to start to click some things together, which I believe allows God to demonstrate who he is and where he is in the midst of some of the pains that we feel. And let me be nice and practical up front, okay? Because just like Adrian said, for all of us, there are going to be moments when we're going to come face to face with other people who are suffering. You know, imagine the scene for a moment. You've gone out for dinner in Frankie and Benny's or your favorite restaurant of choice. You're going to sit down beautifully. You've got the fries to one side and you've got those succulent, juicy ribs in front of you. You know, they're kind of ones that drip with barbecue sauce and they're just beautiful. And you're just waiting to put that first mouthful in your mouth and just allow it to just melt. And I apologize if you're a vegetarian right now. I'm kind of making myself hungry. But you're about to eat these ribs, but the friend who is not a Christian opposite you, they're like, hold on a minute. Hey, You're a Christian, right? How is it that God could have allowed me to go through that situation? The abuse that my friend has had. The rape that their sister had had. The fact that their parents are fighting and arguing constantly. There's a reality that says, how do we respond Where's the answer book? Is there something that I can find on the internet that's going to help me? Let me just tell you really practically. The first and most important thing that you can do is love them and listen well. Sympathize with them. Allow them to express their feelings. Allow them to express their emotions. Be in a place where as a friend that you can demonstrate compassion. Whether that's practically, spiritually, emotionally. Offer to pray for them. Sometimes there isn't going to be a sure answer that you can be like, aha, I've heard this one before. It's because of dot, dot, dot. My mom used to say to me, Steve, you have uh, two ears and you have one mouth. And it's because of the fact that you need to do twice as much listening as you do speaking. And actually your heart in those kind of moments is actually more important than anything else that you can possibly do. Okay? But listen, to understand the first piece of the jigsaw puzzle, I'm going to pose the question, 
is God the only one to blame for suffering? Okay? Now this might be a controversial place to start, but you've got to bear with me because it's just the first piece of the jigsaw, okay? I would pose the question, was it God who planted the landmines that are randomly blowing off the legs of children in places like Africa? Did he start Rwanda's intertribal genocide that massacred 80,000 people and created generations of orphans? Was it God who gave the gun and the explosive to people like the Norwegian Anders Breivik, who just a few years ago went on a killing spree, killing thousands of people in Norway, hundreds of people, excuse me. Was it him, was it God, who's giving out knives liberally in London on our streets right now? Did you know that there are enough explosives on earth to annihilate humankind 50,000 times over? Or to illustrate it from a different angle, the US alone, their military budget each year, is just shy of $700 billion. This is what they choose to, to pay into their military. According to the latest UN stats, it would cost just $30 billion for the world to feed itself. Or $150 billion would give every single person across the entire globe clean, safe water and sanitation. According to one statistic that I found, it would cost just $39 billion a year to give every child a sound primary education. So we could do all those things, food, water, education, for less than a third of what one country spends on defense and military. Now maybe I'm oversimplifying things, but we've got to understand that there are choices that all of us make. There are even things that we do which contribute toward those things that we would put in the box of natural disasters, okay? So for example, we have the knowledge right now to construct buildings that can withstand an earthquake. We know that some of the things that we're doing actually affect global warming and therefore are doing damage to the atmosphere and changing weather systems and so on. We know that there are even economic reasons that people, for example, live near volcanoes because of the fact that alongside volcanoes there is very fertile land. People like growing crops there. We also know in parts of the world that people build their houses, their entire villages, on floodplains. Why? Because it's cheaper to buy land there. And then there's a very personal level. We might make big picture decisions. We might see other people making decisions about why they would get in the way of such things. But millions of us, and I would include myself in the midst of this, do those simple things like fail to look after our bodies. I kind of wish that KFC was one of my five a day, you know? I don't know whether there's anything else like that. You know, pray that God would take that chip and turn it into a carrot stick as it goes down. But we don't always exercise or eat the things that we should, and therefore are we looking after our bodies and the things that God has given us? Now again, I know I'm trivializing it, but every single one of us plays a part. But obviously, this is only part of the story. After all, surely we're not to blame for everything bad, which I guess puts God right in the firing line. So the first question perhaps that I pose is, was it supposed to be like this? See, given the chance, I think God might say that this is not the way that things were intended to be. And no doubt you've looked at the start of your Bible where it takes 
this stunning picture of what it was like for Adam and Eve to walk in the garden, to know God closely, intimately, personally. And you know, when God created, he declared that it was very good. Now you might look at the news, you might look outside and you might think, how could God have said this was very good? Well, actually something changed. Everything was at peace with itself. There was no pain, there was no suffering, but the world was in harmony. But of course it went wrong. We know from the story that our first parents, they made this decision to disobey God. They kind of went their own way, they did their own thing, they rebelled against the things that they were called to do. Now this had this massive effect on the whole of human history. It's kind of like a car is enjoying a cruise 65 miles an hour down this beautiful country lane and then suddenly that thing was cranked into reverse and the whole gearbox shattered. The whole thing came crunching to a halt and the entire journey was splintered. Humanity's relationship from that point on with their creator was damaged and suddenly they felt exposed, suddenly they felt naked. And everything from top to bottom was damaged. Everything was spoiled. Everything became ugly. And in one way, it stayed like that since. You see, this term sin, it kind of gets under our collar a little bit. And I I don't like it. I remember in my mid-20s stumbling onto this Alpha course and starting to hear for the first time, well, you know, each one of us has sinned. I'm like, how dare they? How could anyone call me a sinner? Do they know that I do good things and I give to comic relief and I walk old ladies across the road? And you know, it's only really in the months and even years to follow that you kind of realize that actually, even by my own standards, I fall short. Every single one of us has done things we regret and done things to contribute to the damage of both the world and also relationships around us. And when we've fallen short of not only our own standards, but the perfect standards of a holy, beautiful, fantastic, perfect God. Now some have estimated that as much as 95% of the world's suffering can be accounted for by the sin of others. Which means we've made decisions that have impacts well beyond ourselves. Whether it's murder or theft, adultery, abuse, unloving parents, reckless driving, slander selfishness, the list goes on and on. And then there are probably a smaller proportion where you think, hold on, it didn't seem like there was any person involved in that particular act happening. Well, what the Bible tells us is that the world is groaning due to sin. There was literally a a point when a devastation went well beyond individuals and has affected our entire world. What we need to understand though is that when God created the world that he wanted to give you and I dignity and he wanted to give us choice. These two are really important things, okay? Because you might ask, if if sin is responsible for all the pain and the suffering that we see in this world, why couldn't God just stop it? If he's all loving, If he's all-powerful, why would he have not done something to be able to prevent it all happening? I don't know whether you've ever thought about the question, what does it take to create a world where true love is possible? How do we, if we were going to go about creating a world where true love was possible, where it was genuinely meaningful to be freely given, 
But for love to be freely given, it means that we should also be able to freely withheld that love. Let me give you an analogy. Imagine right now I grabbed someone up from the audience and I stood them uh, alongside me. And I said, you know what, I've come from Bedford this morning, I'm very tired. I've driven all the way over, it's taken about two hours. I've got here and I really do need to know that you love me right now. What I want you to do is I want you to tell me that I'm incredibly attractive and I'm very well built and you like my hairstyle and you know, I want you to lavish me with praise. But before they start speaking or laughing, I get a gun out of my back pocket and put that to the side of their head. And I say to them, look, hey, if, you, if I don't hear sort of words that are going to make me gush and make me blush and make me feel wonderful, this gun right here is pointing right at you. Now, wouldn't it be strange if when you got back to your tent, you started telling all your friends, you know, the strangest thing happened. Steve's up there preaching, he's talking about suffering. This guy comes out and stands up on the stage next to him. And they just start saying how wonderful he is and how much they love him and how attractive he is and how kind of uh, beautiful his biceps look. And, you know, it, it, it would be the bizarrest thing. And frankly, it also wouldn't be true unless you told them that they had no choice because the choice was limited by the fact that there was a gun pointed right at them. You see, for God to create a world when true love is possible, for it to be expressed and experienced, he must have created humankind with freedom. And not just freedom, but freedom and choice. You see, God doesn't force you into doing what he wants you to do. He's given you freedom. But whilst we can choose, we can't dictate the consequences of that choice. And it's impossible, it's possible for anybody, whether my dad or someone else sat opposite you and Frankie or Benny's, to talk about how it's possible to have a world where true love is possible without those two things, freedom and choice. You see, God's other option when he created the world would have simply be to create robots, We're going to have puppets. Everyone's going to do the same. Or what he might do is start snuffing out all those people who do wrong. And so maybe he would start off with the terrorists and those people who have done really horrendous things. And we're going to start working down the line. We're going to create a bit of a snuff list of taking out one person at a time with the most evil. Done the most damage. But you know, it wouldn't take too long until I realized that suddenly I'm the most evil person in the whole of the world because I've done things that I regret and I've done damage and I've told lies and I've abused people and I've said things that I shouldn't have said and you have too. And actually God's a God who wants to extend forgiveness to you, not just take the ax to every single person because honestly, all of us would all be on that list as well. He's given us freedom, he's given us choice. So we know that God's design was perfect. We know that he gave us choice. And we have responsibility in the midst of it. And there are other pieces of the suffering jigsaw. We can see the bigger picture, okay? So does God cause suffering? I would say no, but he does allow it. And that's a painful thing. But honestly, I've got a very simple theology about this. I would say that God is good. The devil is bad. God does not want good, uh, does not want bad, excuse me, but he can use it. 
Could there be reasons beyond our ability to understand? Now, I don't want to trivialize suffering of the millions, and I don't want to trivialize your suffering either. But I do know that God can use it. I do know that there are times when he's shaping us and growing us and drawing us through challenges and encouraging us to connect with him. I've got a friend of mine called Chris, who in the midst of his lowest point of alcoholism and despair was the moment that he found God. And he would point back to it and say, I would have never found him unless I was in that place. I know friends who have had cancer and they've talked about how even in that place, it's when I've known God to be the closest to me. You know, it's really important that we don't play kind of top trumps right now with who's had the most suffering or not. I'll tell you, one of the worst weeks I've ever had was when I was 25 years of age. I'd been a Christian around about nine months. In the midst of me coming to faith, my dad refused to speak to me. We didn't have a relationship. My girlfriend at the time, the first lady who I thought I was going to marry, she led me to Christ. Her and I broke up. My relationships were falling apart. I had a small business. One of my staff walked out on me. My business was falling apart. And then I got the phone call. And the phone call was that at 20 years of age, a week before his 21st birthday, my brother was killed in a car accident. And he had been driving too fast. And he wasn't wearing his seatbelt. And he swung around the car, was unable to get control, hit a curb, span around, and a lorry hit him. And in that moment, he lost his life. And I'm thinking, my world is falling apart. How do you cope with these things? How do we cope in the midst of suffering? God, where are you? And I wanted just to, to tell you how I can reconcile that in my life. Because we know that death is profoundly wrong. I don't ever want to just accept it or trivialize it. And the Bible actually affirms that position. But when it comes to loss, and when it comes to Chris's life, what do I do? I cling on to the fact that God loved him way more than I do. I cling on to the fact that God's desire is that all would come to repentance and that none would perish. I cling on to the fact that the Bible says that will not the righteous judge do right? And I cling on to the fact that actually even in that last moment as that truck was coming toward him, that if he had called out to God, he would have saved him. So you've got to hold on to these truths. Now it doesn't give me an answer. But actually I found peace in that place. And the Bible talks about the fact that actually we can know a peace that goes beyond understanding. See, there's no formula to say that if you have no pain and suffering in your life, suddenly you'll be happy and fulfilled in God. Actually, sometimes the opposite is true. And we can be real with God and cry out to him, just as the Psalms do. Cry out to say, where are you? And in that place, I believe that he will meet with us. Millions of people, even those who are richer and more complete, as it were, in the world's eyes, she will still suffer pain and will still have difficulty and challenging challenges. But oftentimes, actually I think it's true that if I were to look back through some of the most difficult parts of my life, I found that God's used those things and grown me through them. That's not me saying that 
evil and conflict and sickness are good. But I am saying that God can use every circumstance. I've got a friend of mine called Sandra. It was her husband and her son, amazing family in our church, who had gone walking in the Alps. And Sandra had stayed back at home just outside of Bedford. And she got this phone call, which no one wants to get, where she was told by the police that her son and her husband have gone missing. And it was a few hours later, as the pain and the panic and the anxiety kicks in, when she got the knock on the door to say that their bodies had been found and they'd fallen off the side of a mountain. It's absolutely horrific and absolutely painful. And I've been so impressed how Sandra has clung on to God, even through that sort of circumstance. But the amazing thing is that even now, she's being used to help other people and to support them who are going through the same thing. God can use every situation. I've got some other friends called Mal and Lindy, and it's just two or three years ago now where they fell pregnant, so excited about having their second child. And it's in one of those early scans that they were told that the back of their child's head hadn't formed, and he had no skull, and that he wouldn't survive, and that they needed to terminate their pregnancy. Now, Mal and Lindy trusted Jesus and they wanted to cling on to the hope that God would, would break in and they prayed and they worshipped and they sought counsel and they carried this child against medical advice to full term and gave birth to him. It's a little boy called Elijah. And they had, in the end, even though they thought it was going to be just minutes, they had about seven days with their little baby boy to hold him and to speak love over him and to delight in the fact that God gave them him even though it was for such a brief time. And you know, I remember them talking to me about the fact that they would just worship and they would just love on him and they would just trust God through it all. And actually, do you know, this is a unique privilege that we have here on earth to be able to worship even in the pain and the suffering. Romans 8.28 says that we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. And I just believe that, you know what, some of these things I'm not going to understand by trusting him. Let me tell you another piece of the jigsaw of how I want to express to my father or someone else. There's a guy, a theologian called R.C. Sproul, and he said, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, that only happened once. And he volunteered. You see, the God who stands accused of indifference, of not getting involved, of allowing suffering, he loves his creation so much that he was willing to cause himself the greatest pain that's ever been endured. Far from being a distant spectator, he entered in. He suffered with us. And any attempt to try and talk about suffering needs to be done through the reality of the fact that Jesus suffered pain like no one else. He endured life and sacrifice for us, stepping into human history. He was thought to be this illegitimate child living in a country occupied and ruled by cruel dictators. He was betrayed by his closest friends. He was 
falsely accused. He was tried by a prejudiced jury and convicted by a cowardly judge. He was beaten and tortured, left alone, abandoned to hang on a cross and die. You see, the answer to the question cannot be that God doesn't love you and I. It cannot be. Because when we look at the cross, we see the ultimate expression of God's love where he stepped in to rescue us. And you know, I want to just tell you that's not the end of the story because there is a resurrection. He didn't just die, he rose again to new life and that changes everything. You see, far from being removed and remote from the world's pain, God grasped it with both hands. And now as we look to the end of the story, toward Revelation, we can see the fact that God is making everything new. Revelation 21 talks about when Jesus returns, there's this promise of a new heaven and a new earth. He's going to wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there's going to be no more death and no more mourning and no more crying or pain. See, in light of eternity, actually knowing God is going to be so much bigger and better than anything we could ever have known. I have an aunt, her name is Joy. And she's probably in her mid to late 40s. And when she was born, the people who are helping to, to, to bring her out of her mum, helping deliver the baby, they put the clamp on her head in a twisted, funny way and it gave her brain damage. To the point where through her entire life, she's been able to think normally, but she cannot control her body. She is without the ability to walk, to speak, to feed herself. And she spent her entire life in a wheelchair. But you know what? She loves Jesus. And I've seen her in her wheelchair dance as she spins this handle without the ability to move her hand properly. And because she can speak through a computer now in very broken words, she's able to look forward to a time that says, even if I'm not healed in this life, one day I'm going to be free. One day my body's going to work. One day I'm going to dance with Jesus. And seeing the joy in her life, even in the midst of such suffering, is an inspirational thing. How should we respond? Let me close like this. God never promises that we won't suffer. In fact, John 16, 33, Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you have peace. But in this world, you will have trouble. <laughs> Jesus himself says, we're going to have trouble. We're going to suffer. It's not the sort of thing we often have on our fridge or on a bumper sticker, is it? But then it says, but take heart because I've overcome the world. See, here's what I've learned to appreciate in my life. Some people think that when they become a Christian, it's gonna be like we're on a cruise ship. We're gonna have a, a beautiful cocktail. We're gonna sit on a lounger. We're gonna enjoy the sunshine. But what happens is if you're sat on a lounger on a cruise ship and a bomb goes off in the water, you're gonna be furious. You're gonna to demand to see the captain. You're gonna bang on his door. You're gonna say, what is going on here? But actually, I believe the picture that the Bible paints for us is more that actually we're not on a cruise ship, we're on a battleship. And so when a bomb goes off right next to you, 
You don't suddenly get off and demand to see the captain. Instead, you pick up your weaponry and you choose to fight and engage in the spiritual battle that we're called to do. You're actually thankful that I had a lounger and a cocktail and a swimming pool to be in. God does want to give us joy now, but there's also a reality of the battle that we are in. Suffering exists. But as Christians, we need to follow what Jesus' example was. We want to spend time alleviating suffering. He fed the hungry. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He saw his ministry as preaching good news to the poor, proclaiming freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, releasing the oppressed. This is what we're called to do in following his footsteps. We're to comfort those who mourn. We've seen some phenomenal stories of God breaking in as we've prayed for those who are sick. Even recently, last few weeks, I've seen someone who's had tinnitus for eight years, completely free. We've seen people with arthritis, of back conditions, just miraculously get healed in a moment as God breaks in. This is what we're called to do. Why doesn't everyone get healed? Do you know what? In the same way as some of this stuff around suffering is something of a mystery, But I know we're called to make a difference. I know we're called to stand in the gap. And I know we're called to see God move. Listen, in a moment, we're going to get people either side to microphones if you want to ask some questions. And I'm going to do my best to answer. But let me just finish with one final story. Because I was born in a place called Scumthorpe. And then I moved to Nottingham, did most of my growing up there. I lived in Coventry and then started seeing a girl. And this girl who I was dating encouraged me to go along to church with her parents. So I went along, sat next to her. To my knowledge, I'd never been to that place before. And I saw in those people, despite their circumstances and even their suffering, a sense of peace and a sense of connection, a sense of joy that I did not know. And it was in that church that I'd never had any connection with, to my knowledge, that I started a journey to find out who Jesus was as a 24-year-old young lad. Now, the amazing thing is this. About five meters away from where I sat in that church, there was a table. And on that table, there was a plaque. And the plaque was dedicated to Alexander Hunter Wilson. That was my grandfather. My dad, Tom, his dad was an elder. It was in that church 20 years previously, and I didn't know. You see, even though my dad's in this terrible, difficult place, I believe that God's in it. And I believe that God took me back to that place, and I believe in the legacy of loving Jesus that my, my family has. And I believe that God can use every single one of your circumstances, whether we find out in this life or not. How about I just pray for us real quick? And then if you have immediately a question that you want to answer, want me to answer, you can come up to these things. But let's just engage our hearts with God right now. Father, suffering is a complicated, difficult thing. And God, there are not easy answers. But God, I want to pray for me and I want to pray for every single person right across this tent right now that we would have a whole trust in you. 
that we would cling on to you in the good times and the difficult times. And I want to pray, God, for those people who are struggling. I want to pray, God, for those who are experiencing suffering or feel like they have family or friends who are asking them things that they don't know how to answer. God, may we be the most compassionate people. May we be the most loving people. May we be those people who constantly, Lord, go the extra mile and point people back to you. So whilst it might not always be straightforward, God, we trust you in the midst of it all. And we bless your holy name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. All right, so listen, just as Adrian said at the start, we've got around about 15 minutes or so to be able to listen to any particular questions that you guys might have, okay? And so we've got microphones down at the front right here, down the front right there. Um, If it is the case that you have something you would love me to touch base on, clarification, ask me about a story, a circumstance, then now is your opportunity, okay? I could just talk a little bit more in the meantime. Or we can wait. All right. I suggest, guys, that if you do, come down to the microphone now and make a little cue and we can go from that. But yes, my friend. Um, If we're given a choice to allow us free will, uh, why don't we get the choice to step away from God first, like Adam did, whereas we're condemned from the beginning uh, to be in uh, suffering? That's a great question. I think, for me, I cling on to those key aspects that I talked about earlier in the midst of how actually God's desire for a relationship with us goes beyond anything else. See, should I have been born at a different time? Should we have all experienced the world without original sin? I think it's very difficult to do that other than realizing that actually God has a plan and has a desire to be in relationship with us. I think the extension sometimes of your question is all about the separation. Why did he create people who might not enjoy relationship with him? And the truth is that's a very complicated question as well. And what I do know is that I believe that right the way through eternity, Everything that's happened will resonate with the loud cry of the fact that God has been good and he has been gracious to us and he is demonstrating mercy to us because there's, there's nothing else that there is. He will be everything that's good. Now I remember I was chatting to a friend of mine once about hell when we went on a, a drive and he simply said to me, he's like, Steve, I don't, I don't want to go to heaven. I'm happy parting and being where all the cool kids are and having some fun. And you know, it's the, it's the saddest thing because actually everything that's good, everything that's light, everything that's life is all found in him. And so I'm just grateful for the fact that any one of us gets the opportunity because honestly, none of us deserve to connect with him. And yet in his grace and in his mercy, he sent Jesus. So I hope that helps a little bit. Okay, thanks my friend. Let's, we're going to bounce between sides, okay? So yes. So how do we deal with pain that isn't necessarily caused by other people? I mean, so for me personally, I deal with chronic illness and anxiety and depression. And it's easy in the, in the good times to say, like, yeah, God is good and I can worship during those times. But when I'm actually there, it's really quite impossible. How do you deal with that? 
Absolutely. And do you know what? Bless you. It is not an easy thing. There are people who go through such tremendously difficult things. And honestly, it's very hard for me to, I don't want to trivialize that. And you know, when you're going through circumstances and you're going through, whether it's brief ones or even lifelong illnesses. And in one respect, I recognize that me saying that this lifetime is, is a short thing in the scope of eternity isn't easy. What I see through the Bible for people like Job is the fact that he had this grace and this ability to connect and to hold on to God even though his life was falling apart with tragedy, with personal illness, with family members being killed, with his workplace. Even his, even his friends were saying, surely you should rebuke God. Surely you should turn away from him. And yet he was given this grace to be able to hold on. And I believe that even in those moments, sometimes we can experience him, but we can be real. And we can find methods of support, whether it's through other people, or whether it's through scriptures, or holding onto verses. And my prayer for you is that you would know, even in the midst of all that pain, that you would know comfort, and that you would know closeness with him, and that you would have the, the grace to be able to keep going on. But it's not easy. I would love to pray for you afterwards, if that's okay. Let's bounce over here. What would you uh, say to someone who'd say that in the Bible, is Jesus the perfect representation of God? He never has prolonged someone's suffering or like um, left someone to suffer. Some people would use the example of Job, but in that um, Satan has come to God and that can no longer happen. So what would you just say to someone that that's not something you see Jesus do? So do you say... Jesus didn't leave somebody suffering, is that what you said? Or he didn't allow someone to suffer. Didn't allow someone to suffer. I think Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the enemy. I think he would do everything that was in his power, I believe, to be able to alleviate that suffering. And so I think that's that's the same call that's on us. And so, you know, for, for all of us to do everything we can. And, you know, sometimes I say to people, you know, when you look around, who's the first person you should connect with? The person who's sat on their own. And actually, even simple things like loneliness, actually, it's, 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 it's critical. You might be in your tent this afternoon and see someone who's disconnected. You can make a difference in their lives. Now, I don't know that that fully articulates an answer to your question. I don't know whether there's something more that you want to unpack there. That as Jesus is exactly like God, yeah. he didn't allow suffering for people, so why would God do that? Again, if I, I, we believe that Jesus is the perfect representation of the Father, okay? But one of the things that he really did do is partner with people in their suffering. And so, you know, that, the shortest verse in the Bible is that Jesus wept. And so I, I, I do believe that actually there are times when Jesus just stood in there alongside people and connected with them in their emotion. And everything that he went through actually enables him to be able to connect with us even now. But Jesus can be and is close to us by his Holy Spirit. He ultimately is the comforter that's going to help every single one of us in our situations. Bless you. Thanks for asking the question. Yeah. If there's so much suffering in the world, why doesn't he just come back and redo everything? <laughs> that's a great question. Why does Jesus not come back? I believe he is coming back. And that's good news for us. We can read the end of the story. I think one of the things that it talks about in the scripture is that the gospel will be preached to every nation, every tongue, and every language. And I believe that actually even events like this equip people to be able to go and do that. 
And so while we're waiting, what we've got to work out is how we can alleviate the, the most suffering. And one day he will. One day we trust the fact that he is going to wipe away every tear. One day he is going to comfort every single person. One day he is going to be close to us and we're going to see him face to face. How long that's going to be, we do not know yet. But we're trusting him in the process. Bless you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, what would you say would be the best way to remind yourself like even when you're going through suffering that you know God still loves you and stuff. How do you best remind yourself that God still loves you in the process? There is nothing that has the weight that has the power like the Bible has. So what are the key verses for you that you're going to cling on to that you're going to hold on to in the midst of pain and suffering? I think for me, there's been different verses at different times. Psalm 46 verse 10 is one of the verses that I've held on to. And I want to make sure that I quote it well for you because maybe for someone here, it'll help them today. It simply says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. You see, no matter what situation you're in, no matter what suffering you're in, actually, I want to pause and I want to connect with the fact that it's not about me. And sometimes I've even repeated that verse over and over to myself. It's like, be. What does it mean to be? Okay, well, what does it mean to be still? Be still. What does it mean to know? What does it mean to know you personally, closely, connectedly? What does it mean for you to be God? And even in my situation right now, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to depend on you. And so we want to, I would suggest, take hold of things that are going to help us to connect with him and ultimately be able to put our trust in. Thanks for the question. Let's go over here. If God hears all of our prayers, why don't all of them get answered? Why don't all of our prayers get answered? That's a great question. Do you know, in some ways, I think it's true that it's a good thing that all my prayers are not answered. I would have married the wrong person several times, is the truth of it. And sometimes he knows better than I do, and he has a bigger plan and a bigger scheme. But I also think that he's growing me, and he's growing us with a sense of faith and expectancy and pursuit of him. Let me give you an example. I remember praying for a guy out in the street and he had suffered for many years with a fused vertebrae in his back. And I prayed for him once after being in this big group. They're all laughing and they're all mocking me. Prayed for him first time, nothing happened. Prayed for him the second time, nothing happened. All these lads in this big group are just laughing at me. Prayed for him the third time, nothing happens. Prayed for him the fourth time and he said, he started to feel warmth in his back, started to feel a tingling. I prayed for him a fifth time and the air starts turning blue. Because he's like, I'm not effing kidding, this is effing better. And he's swinging his back around and he's swinging his, and he's touching his toes and, and all of his friends are like gasping and, and he's, he's completely pain-free for the first time in many, many years, bending and twisting. Why did it take that? Why did, was he not healed the first time? I believe that God calls us to perseverance at times. So whilst he does know better than we do, he calls into relationships that we might depend on him. 
And so in that simple illustration, sometimes there is a sense of, do you know what, I'm going to knock on the door and I'm going to keep knocking. I'm going to keep pursuing God. I'm going to keep chasing after him. I'm going to hold on to him. And even in the mystery, I'm going to worship and I'm going to trust you. So sometimes I'm not sure we're going to know. Maybe we're not going to know until eternity, but he will. And it's all about holding on to that big picture, okay? Thanks for the question. All right, we've got five minutes, I think, so we might be able to do three or four more, and then we'll get Adrian up. Yes. Hi. Um, so do you think it's like um, God, is, God is good and perfect, and everything external and outside of God is, is dark and, and like evil? Um, and if so, like, um, why, um, well, who created that, that darkness outside of God? Is there something that, that's outside of God's control, yeah. um, you know, like in the beginning and stuff like that? So what some people try and do is kind of create this kind of yin and yang, this kind of light and darkness. I don't believe that is the case. I believe that God is completely good and completely perfect, but the world and everything in it has been fallen, okay? And that's not to say that there isn't good there as well, because actually I believe that there's goodness in every single one of us, just as there is evil in every single one of us because of the fallen nature of it, okay? And so, but, so that doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't split kind of half and half. But, as I said earlier, the propensity or there is the possibility for evil and there is a brokenness because of the way sin has affected the world. But yet, yeah, he is supremely, perfectly good, but there is also good. And this is, this is actually quite important because it's, it's key that you know, even my atheist father, he can do right, good, moral, ethical things. And actually, it's important that we don't kind of cast people out because, you know, there is, there is good in every single person, I believe. And so uh, it's, it's not that everything is just horrific. It's just the fact that everything's been tainted by the sin of the world, okay? Let's try and do one more very quickly, and then we'll get Adrian. We'll split from there. Yeah. Um, how come, like, at events such as New Day, you see hundreds of people healed on, like, a healing night? Versus, like, in my situation, I've been praying for a family member versus, like, loads of my friends as well. Like, for more than 12 years, you don't see any progression within like a physical healing? Yeah, again, it's not an easy question to answer. None of these are in one respect. I know of people who have been praying for many, many years. Some people may be not, never even experience their healing this side of eternity. And that's, that's a hard thing to wrestle with. But I know that there's perseverance that we need to be drawn into. And I know that the more people I pray for, the more people are healed. There is a simple equation. Have I got the courage? Have I got the bottle? Have I got the, the hope and the faith to cling on to him and actually continue to persevere through the bits of that? That's what I would encourage you to do. And tr- just cover yourself in, in, in stories as well that, that, that are going to feed your faith to be able to grow in doing that as well. But listen, thank you for your question. And I'd happy to pray even just now for your um, family member, I think you said, who is ill. So thanks for sharing. Adrian. Okay, in a minute, we're just going to thank Steve Tomorrow, we're looking at questions about, hang on a minute, if I follow Jesus, aren't there lots of rules about sex, what you can and can't do? What's that all about? Andrew Wilson will be here with some friends talking about that. On Friday, I'll be looking at the whole subject of atheism. Thousands of British kids would say, I'm an atheist. We'll look into that. Mental health is a massive issue. And we'll look at that with Will van der Haar on Saturday. So right now, couple of options for you if you'd like to stay. Maybe some of the things that you've heard today, and in particular some of the uh, particular personal messages, words of knowledge, Christians call them, that Steve's raised, maybe you'd like to receive prayer. There are going to be some guys with red, blue, and green caps over here 
In just a second, when we all stand up, you can make your way down there. They'd love to pray for you. If you have a question, maybe you didn't get a chance to ask it, or maybe you'd like to ask something not in front of hundreds of people through a microphone, but you'd like to just chat to Steve, Steve's going to be standing down here, okay? So the rest of us can quietly stand up and make our way out. But first, let's thank Steve for serving us so well. Thanks, Greg. Well done, Steve.